Good morning. Let me add my welcome to Mike's and invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there are a few Bibles in front of you. You'll find our text on page 901. We return this morning to the Upper Room Discourse, which we began on Palm Sunday, looking at chapter 13. You'll remember that Jesus is preparing the disciples for what is to come, for Him as well as for them. It's a final time to remind them of who He was and what He had come to do, of where He was going and who would come after Him. One last time to remind them of their calling as His followers, as His witnesses. And He knows the fear that will soon grip their hearts when He leaves. He knows that they will feel alone and abandoned. He knows they will be vulnerable to temptation, the temptation to doubt everything. Jesus has told them that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Yet the grief they will experience will cause them to wonder if they've lost their way. They'll question the truth of their faith. And life will feel more like a death. How does Jesus comfort them? But more importantly, how does Jesus comfort us? You see, even though that we live on this side of the cross, we too know that fear. We too have felt that abandonment. We also know that doubt. How does He comfort us in the midst of our trials? Let's look at our text this morning and find out. Again, John chapter 14, I'll read verses 15 through 27. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see Me no more. But you will see Me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in My Father, and you in Me, and I in you. Whoever has My commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves Me. And he who loves Me will be loved by My Father, And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to our fearful hearts, our hearts that are troubled because of the life circumstances that we are experiencing or one day will soon experience. Would you prepare us for that as you teach us who the Holy Spirit is and what a gift he is to us? Would you open the eyes of our heart with the Holy Spirit speak directly to us? We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. I shared with the young disciples some time ago the story of my mom who left me at the grocery store. I thought I would tell it again since 
Mike told his story about his mom. My mom actually left me there out of desperation. She did it because I had perpetually wandered away from her uh, every single time we would go to the grocery store. And, And now that I have kids, I understand how she felt and why she did what she did. Thankfully, of course, she didn't actually leave me. She simply just moved the car to the back of the parking lot and sat there and waited and and watched. Of course, I didn't know that. So when I couldn't find her in the grocery store, I began to uh, look for her. And then when I didn't find her, I went out to the car to see if she was there. But all of a sudden, the car wasn't there. And then it dawned on me what had happened. She had kept her promise to leave me if I had left her side for the last time. I don't remember being afraid, but I do remember feeling guilty. I knew I was going to be in trouble. Thankfully, I knew that she hadn't abandoned me. After all, I was her child. I belonged to her, and she would have sooner died than abandoned me. But what if she had abandoned me? What if she had driven off never to come back again? What if she had left me an orphan? Can you imagine the fear, the aloneness? The sense of abandonment I would have felt. The feeling of helplessness and even hopelessness that I have now left to fend for myself. Some of you don't have to imagine that. You know what it's like all too well. For reasons known only to God, you were orphaned at a young age. Thankfully, many of you experienced the love and care of a foster and adoptive family. And I'm so grateful to those of you who serve as adoptive and foster families You've given the gift of belonging, of protection, and of love. I pray that more Rivermont families might join you. And yet some of you didn't have such good experiences. In fact, you still carry deep wounds from that experience. It may come out in an inability to trust people or an inability to get close to people for fear that they will leave you. And honestly, those seem like pretty rational responses to me, given those circumstances. Jesus seemed to think so as well. It's why he told the disciples in verse 18 that he wouldn't leave them as orphans. Well, why would he tell them that? Because after his death and then later his ascension, it would feel like what? Abandonment. Jesus has gone. We're left to fend for ourselves like orphans. Is it any wonder that Jesus bookends chapter 14 with this bold command, let not your hearts be troubled? You're going to feel as though I have abandoned you. You're going to feel like you're alone, but don't let your heart be troubled. This is a powerful command that bears a further look. What does Jesus mean by not letting our hearts be troubled? To be troubled here literally means to cause a riot, to throw into chaos. Jesus is saying, don't let your fear cause your heart to riot against you. Don't let your anxiety destroy your life. This is a powerful image considering that this month marks the 25th anniversary of the L.A. riots. I can still remember the images and the videos of the rioting and the looting that took place in South Central L.A. People were angry over the acquittal of four white police officers in the beating of Rodney King. Their anger turned into violent and destructive behavior. I was reminded this week that the damages from that was over a billion dollars. And while 2,000 people were injured, 55 people were killed. Jesus says, don't let your fear, your anxiety, cause your heart to riot against you. 
Don't let it undermine or destroy your faith in me. Now, when we hear Jesus tell us this, we wonder, is it really possible to not let our hearts be troubled? But when Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, he's not saying that your problems aren't as bad as you imagine them to be, but rather God is bigger than we imagine. He's not minimizing the difficulties that we're facing. He's not saying that our trouble is not imagined. No, he's calling us to see that the the one who is with us and in us is greater than the problems surrounding us. And who is in us? Jesus identifies him as the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus provide us through the Holy Spirit? Well, first we see that he is a helper to come alongside us. Jesus has made it clear that he was leaving. He was leaving so that another helper could be sent. In fact, he went so far as to say in chapter 16 that his leaving was to their advantage. In fact, he says it would be more profitable for the Spirit to come rather than for him to stay. I can imagine some apprehension as they wondered, what would this helper be like? Who would this helper be? It's important to note that Jesus says he is sending another helper. In the Greek, there are two ways to translate our English word another. The first word is heteros, which means another of a different kind. In this sense, another would refer to a helper that is altogether different than Jesus. The second word for another is alos, which you might guess is another of the same kind. This is the word that Jesus uses to refer to the Holy Spirit. The helper he is sending you is just like him. You won't lose anything in this exchange. There is no loss in translation. The Holy Spirit will be the same kind of helper to the disciples as Jesus was. My dad has been with the Lord for about four and a half years. And there are times that I would love to have a conversation with him. To be able to talk through some of life's challenges. To hear his wisdom as a father, a husband, a fellow disciple. To share fears and questions and doubts and temptations with him. But more than that, wouldn't it be great to have a conversation with Jesus himself? To be able to bear our soul before him about those very things. To ask him, Lord, how is it that I continue to experience these feelings of inadequacy? How long, Lord, will this particular sin plague my heart? When will I realize that your acceptance of me is based on your perfect work and not my own? How wonderful it would be to hear his responses. To hear words of encouragement to persevere and endure. To be assured of Jesus' unfailing love. To be reminded of who I am in him. What a difference that might make in our life. My friends, Jesus has sent us another helper, the same kind as Jesus, so that we can have that same opportunity. Jesus says that a conversation with the Holy Spirit is like a conversation with Jesus in a physical sense. In fact, Jesus says in chapter 16 that it's better. Well, how's that possible? Well, imagine if Jesus were alive and living today in Jerusalem. To have that conversation with him, we'd have to do what? We'd have to get on a plane and go to Jerusalem. The only problem is is that every other Christian in the world has the same idea that you do. And after months of waiting for a seat to open up, you finally get that ticket on that plane to go to Jerusalem. 
And when you finally get to Jerusalem, of course, the traffic is suffocating. And you wonder if you'll ever get to his office. You finally make it over there, but then the line to see Jesus is so long. It's like standing in line at Space Mountain at Disney World on Christmas Day, only it's a thousand times worse. Not so with the Holy Spirit, though. We have access to Him whenever we want, for as long as we want, without ever having to wait. Think about that. No wonder it was to our advantage that Jesus returned to the Father. We have immediate access to Him through His Holy Spirit. He is at our side, which begins to describe His role as our helper. How is the Holy Spirit our helper? Well, the word for helper here is paraclete, which literally means the one who is called alongside of. It's actually a legal term used to refer to a a counselor or an advocate who argues someone's case. Paracletes are fiercely loyal. They are for you and will argue on your behalf until the case is won. They are also encouragers who will shoulder the responsibility and burden of another. We all need such a counselor like that, don't we? Even the great apostle Paul needed that. We read in 2 Corinthians that Paul himself had experienced a troubled heart. And through his young pastor, protege Titus, he was comforted and helped. How it must have blessed Paul to have his student Titus come alongside him as he had surely done for Titus many times before. It encouraged Paul to hear his concern, to feel his compassion as he prayed for him, to be reminded of his his former struggles and his glorious triumphs, to, to be reminded of God's truth. Slowly but surely, his riotous heart became a restful heart because of his comforter. You and I have such a helper in the Holy Spirit. Is your heart troubled this morning? Do you feel condemned by your heart? You have an advocate. You have a counselor in the Holy Spirit. One who will go toe-to-toe with your heart. Who will defend your thoughts of condemnation and abandonment with the truth. The truth that you are not an orphan. You have not been abandoned. You have another helper of the same kind as Jesus. Who is not only with you, but as we see secondly, who is in you. The Holy Spirit is a presence to abide in us. The chapter began with Jesus giving the disciples a promise. The promise was that he would go and prepare a place in heaven for them. And what's more, Jesus would say that he would dwell with them there in that place. But Jesus takes that one step further. He tells the disciples in verse 17 that another helper, the Holy Spirit, who already dwells with you, will be in you. He will abide in you, take up residence in you. That indwelling became, of course, a reality at Pentecost, which we read about in Acts 2. But for you and for me who are in Christ, this is a present reality. He abides in us. I love how Jesus expands that in verse 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Don't miss what Jesus is saying here. It's not just the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. God the Father and God the Son also reside in us. How is that? Well, we're not told explicitly, but we know that God is a triune God. He is one in substance, yet distinct in three persons. 
Therefore, it is through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that the Father and the Son also reside in us. They have made their home in us. This is no small thing. D.A. Carson comments on this significance. He sees this triune indwelling as an inauguration of the final consummation. When the words of Revelation 21.3 will be fulfilled, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. How encouraging to know that we have a helper who not only came alongside of us, but has come inside of us. It is His indwelling presence that helps us know that we are not alone. And that's so important for me to remember. One of the occupational hazards of ministry is that we can feel very alone as we walk through the brokenness of life with people, as we counsel people through the ugliness of sin. We take on that pain and hurt too. And to, of course, to protect the process as well as our own loved ones, we often keep it to ourselves. We want to unload the burden, but we know that we can't. And so we can feel alone with that knowledge. But those in ministry aren't the only ones who can feel alone. Wives can feel alone alone living with emotionally absent husbands. Husbands can feel alone living with impossibly demanding wives. Teenagers can feel alone living with addictive behaviors. Children can feel alone living with learning disabilities and attention deficits. We all know what it means to feel alone. But we are not alone. Part of sin's temptation is to make us think that we're alone. Paul writes these familiar and comforting words in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You know them well. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. He's saying there's no sin that you commit or omit that is unique to you. Your sinful thoughts and sinful behaviors are quite common. So what are the implications of this truth for us? Well, when we think that we're alone in our sin... When we think that we're the only one who struggles with our sin, we tend to do what? We hide our sin and struggle. We hide ourselves from God and one another, just like Adam and Eve. But if we know that we're not alone in our sin, if we know that there are others who struggle with the same thing, we are more apt to do what? To confess our struggle with sin. We can unload that burden to God and others. This is the work of the Helper, the indwelling Spirit whom Jesus calls the Spirit of Truth in verse 17. He helps us see reality. He helps us see things as they truly are and not as they appear to be. He does that as He teaches us the truth, the the reality of God's Word. By helping us understand and apply it as we read it and study it and hear it proclaimed. But He also teaches us the truth, the, the reality of our own hearts. He helps us remember the truth we so easily forget. In verse 26, Jesus says that He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You and I suffer from a form of spiritual dementia. We chronically forget the life-giving words of Jesus and what they mean for us. The worst thing is, is that we don't often see it or recognize it. Unlike physical dementia, there is a cure for our spiritual dementia. Covers and restores our fragmented memory banks. He helps us recall not only what Jesus said to us in His Word, but what it means for us. He helps us remember who Jesus is for us and who we are in Him. 
He reminds you that you are not alone. You have a helper who comes alongside of you. You also have a presence who dwells inside of you. And thirdly, you have a peace to anchor you. The whole point of the upper room discourse is to prepare the disciples for what is to come. We get a preview of what awaits them in chapter 15. Jesus indicates that they will face opposition, even hatred from the world. He says to them, don't be surprised if that hatred leads to persecution. They will persecute you because you are not of the world, but you have something that they don't. You have my peace. Jesus says in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. One of the most profound pictures of this kind of peace happened on the Sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 4 gives us that picture. After a full day of teaching, Jesus was exhausted. And so he got into one of the disciples' boats and asked to go to the other side of the lake. On their way over, a hurricane-force storm developed quickly. It turned the Sea of Galilee into a foamy sea of death. What started as adrenaline quickly turned into fear as the disciples tried to ride out the storm. As wave after wave crashed into the boat, beginning to fill it with water, they feared the worst. As the water continued to rise, they realized the boat would soon sink. This was the end. The scene is utter chaos, but where is Jesus? Mark tells us that he is in the stern, that's the back of the boat, asleep on a cushion. Was Jesus that tired that the wind and the waves didn't wake him up? Was the cushion a Tempur-Pedic cushion? We wonder, how could Jesus have been asleep? The disciples wondered that too. They finally woke him up and asked him, Teacher, doesn't it bother you that we're all about to die, including you? What a question. Jesus doesn't respond with sarcasm, as I would have, but with power. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Now, even though his command was directed to the wind and the waves, it could easily have been directed to the disciples, couldn't it? Peace, be still, your riotous heart. I love Jesus' question to them. Why are you so afraid? Why is your heart rioting against you? Why is it so troubled? The disciples' fear was as curious to Jesus as Jesus' sleeping in the storm was curious to the disciples. The disciples were still learning what it meant to be with Jesus, what it meant to be in his presence, what it meant for him to be an anchor in their storm. They wouldn't always have Jesus with him, but they would have his peace in the person of the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't just be with them. He would be in them, emboldening faith and empowering them to do greater and more numerous works than Jesus ever did. It's no different for you or for me. We have been given Jesus' peace through His Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what storm we find ourselves in. It doesn't matter how alone we might feel. It doesn't matter how troubled our hearts might be. We have His Spirit, which is like having Jesus in our boat. He is another helper of the same kind. Is your heart troubled here this morning? Is it rioting within you? You have an advocate. You have a counselor. Call out to him. He is not just with you. He is in you. 
And he comes to remind you of who you are in Jesus and to bring you his peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this peace that has come to us. That even can still our hearts in the midst of the storm. We thank you that your spirit resides within us. Lord, may we experience the power and the comfort through his presence. Not just for this day, but for always. We pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.